0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come as your people, rejoicing that Christ is the light of the world, rejoicing that that light by the work of your spirit shine brightly into our dead and dark hearts. And at some point for all who are in Christ, we said we believe. We received you, Lord Jesus, as our savior. And even today, Lord, we trust that there will be those in our midst who are worshiping with us online who hear the good news and come to saving faith. We rejoice that those who are in Christ will be encouraged by the means of grace, the table that we will soon feast at, the word of God read and preached, the prayers that are being offered. Lord, we thank you for these means of grace. We thank you for our ministry partners that we get to see today in the fellowship hall and understand more of what they're doing. And more than that, we get to participate by praying and supporting and giving of our gifts and our time and our experiences to hold out Jesus, to extend Christ for your glory and the good of your people. So, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to bless all the parts of your church, this service and Lord, as we open your word, that these familiar and clear teachings, though hard to live, would fill us with such hope and joy that we would leave different today than when we came. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, Carlton, come on over, brother. This is Carlton Obie. He serves as the president and CEO of Mercy Street which is a ministry that our church has been involved with for a very long time. But there's a lot of new people at our church. and Maybe they haven't heard about it. And I didn't ask you to do this, but would you give us just a quick glimpse of what Mercy Street and the mission is all about and how we can pray for you all?
1: Yes. Thank you so much.
0: Good morning, church.
1: Good morning. Come on. Uh, Good morning, church. (laughs) You got to sometimes warm them up a little bit. Amen means I agree. That's right. You can go to a Baptist church. That's right. I got it. <laughs> right. Listen, good morning. I'm so excited to be with you guys. My name is Carl Tenova. I get the wonderful privilege to serve as the executive director of Mercy Street Ministries. We are a Christ-centered uh, youth development organization that serves in the West Dallas and South Dallas area. Our hope is to raise up a new generation of young people that will change their community through mentoring, sports, leadership. And uh, we've been doing it for about 20 years. This year we'll celebrate 20 years of ministry uh, being birthed out of this church. And so we're really excited and thankful for you guys and y'all's support over the years. So, yeah.
0: You know, I remember uh, (laughs) January 6th, Friday was my first day 20 years ago, uh, stepping into my office, which is across the street, serving as the pastor of Youth and Families and walking around mercy street's facility before yes, mercy street owned it with trey hill just praying over that and i think 20 years later the work continues the need certainly hasn't changed it's yes, so sir. great what are some ways we can be praying specifically carlton for you and the staff there and the people you are ministering
1: to well we're praying for the uh, spiritual transformation for every family in the west and south dallas area that the gospel will penetrate the hearts of every man, every woman, every child in our communities. That's first and foremost, their eternal destiny. Uh, and then that they will live a life that honors him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think those are the two strongest ways we could pray. Uh, we obviously need people to come down and say, um, to take their orthodoxy, and make their orthopraxy, to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. We need volunteers, yeah. uh, mentors, coaches, uh, people to speak to our young people. Uh, and then people to provide the opportunity for others uh, financially. So yeah, those are ways in which you know, people can be praying and getting involved in the work that we're doing.
0: Part of the ministry expo today is to highlight ministries like Mercy Street. And so just take a few minutes after the service, if you have time, it's gonna be open in the fellowship hall till one o'clock and you can meet those who lead ministries and serve in ministries like Mercy Street right there to find out how you could be involved, certainly in prayer, but also in specific ways. And I told the congregation in the last hour, Whenever someone shares what the needs are, we have the privilege of praying, and all of us can pray. Secondly, we should always be in the posture of, Lord, is this something that you're calling me to engage in? And you may be involved in so many other things that the answer is no, but you might not be involved in something, or maybe you want to change what you're involved in. So we should always have the posture of hands open, like, Lord, is this something you might want us or me individually to participate in? So I'm very grateful for you. We will continue to pray for your ministry and partner with you all with that great work. It's really the same work as the church. We want people to know Christ and live as becomes the followers of Christ. Absolutely. To Absolutely. that end, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we took a break during Advent and did the O Antiphons. We finished the Sermon on the Mount just before that with the Lord's Prayer, remember all that? Yeah, okay, good. And then Robbie preached on fasting from the Lord's Prayer just before Thanksgiving, that was great. Now, we're moving back into the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna spend three weeks where we are right now in this section of scripture in Matthew 6. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. Carlton's gonna read this text for us, so please stand. We're gonna hear from Matthew 6:19 to 21.
1: Thank you, sir. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. God bless you brother.
1: You may be seated. Father, I do
0: lift up Mercy Street and Carlton, the staff, the many volunteers, and ask that you would continue to supply the workers, those who will live for you in West Dallas and South Dallas for the sake of young women and men seeing Christ and knowing how to follow you, Jesus. We pray that that work would bring you glory. And for all the ministry partners that we support, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we move into the Sermon on the Mount, back into it. Uh, let's remember that it's the sermon Jesus preached in the beginning of Matthew 5. It says, he went up on a mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, we spend a lot of time on the Lord's Prayer. Coming out of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is now teaching about the specific things in life that could create anxiety, the various needs that we have, and the temptation for how we might seek to meet those needs. We're gonna spend a few weeks here because it's so important. One thing I really want you to understand and it's easy to miss, is that the context of this section, which is gonna run from Matthew 6:19 through the end of Matthew 6, verse 34, the, the central context is how we view ourselves in our relationship to the Father. So when Matthew 6 started, Jesus started using the name Father over and over again. Just take your pencil or pen in the Bible you brought, or you can do it in the pew Bible if you want, and just highlight the word Father. Jesus is making a strong, strong point that as the followers of Christ, his disciples, we have the heavenly Father who is giving us everything we need, who knows everything we need. The second part of the context, and I don't want you to miss this, has centered on anxiety. Now, this is important. We live in a culture that is exceedingly anxious, and there's reasons why. It's a dark, dying culture. But this is where the church, because of who the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who they are, we should not resemble the same response to anxiety as the world does, but we do. So often the way in which we look at the circumstances of life, the different things that are happening as a result of a fallen world, doesn't look much different than the world. And if it doesn't look any different, why would anybody ever ask us about the hope we have? In other words, if we truly have hope in Christ, that should be a fragrance that people can smell. It should be a light that people can see. And when they see it, if they are part of God's children, part of his people, they will want to know about it. And they'll ask. Let me give you an example. Early December, my wife and I took the Hattons, Pete and Kristen Hatton, our new pastor to families, to dinner, just to get to know them a little bit. We went to a very new restaurant. It's a wonderful restaurant. And we sat down to enjoy a great meal together. I have a heart for waiters and waitresses. I always have. But I don't always go in with great fervency of prayer for something to happen in the conversation with the waiter or waitress. From here, I tend to go to restaurants that are right around the church frequently just to get to know the people that work there. And by the way, I don't want them to know what I do. I don't want them to know I'm a pastor of this church for days or weeks because that can create a pretty pretty big wall, right? So I just get to know them. Well, there wasn't time for this. The night that we're having dinner, it was a Friday night, the waiter didn't see us pray for the meal because the meal hadn't come. As far as I know, we weren't really talking a lot about the church or the Lord. We were just enjoying conversation. But he was listening. And we really didn't know he was listening until finally he said something to me. He said, what are you all saying about deliverance? Now, that's a pretty interesting statement for a waiter to make. What are you saying about deliverance? And I looked at him. I said, what, what do you want to know? He goes, I, I need delivered. Now, this is our Waiter who's working in a restaurant that's only about a month old. This is a Friday night, it's busy. He's there working, but he's concerned about something in his life and he wants to know about deliverance. So I just listen to the spirit and ask God to give me wisdom for what to say. Before long, he tells us what his need is. He's a recovering meth addict. Because of his addiction, he lost visiting privileges with his son, who at that time was about 10 months old. He hadn't seen him in months. He was going to see a judge on Tuesday who would judge whether or not he would be able to see his child. So as he told me that story, he wanted to know what hope we had. He smelled it, he saw it, that's what happens. And so he knelt down next to our table. It's a Friday night, it's a hot new restaurant, it's busy. And I said, keep your eyes open. I don't want you to lose your job, but I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm going to pray for you just like you and I are talking about the menu. And my wife and Pete and Kristen, they're going to keep their eyes open too. For a few minutes, we prayed over this man. Then we exchanged cell phones. I emailed him, texted him, I'm sorry, and said, what did the judge decide? A few days later, I get a picture of him with his son. Powerful, powerful. We, I wish we could tell you, spent time praying that this would happen at the meal. We didn't but it did. We who are in Christ have the living God and the fragrance of the living God inside us. Yet we live in a world that is very broken, that is full of darkness and full of decay. One of the ways in which the fragrance of Christ will come from us is when we stand for truth in love and show the hope that we have for the one who is sovereign, for the one who's going to return. Now, the reason I mention that is because I think the church desperately needs to ask the Holy Spirit to show us where in our life, where are we in our walk with Christ, where something is pressing down the fragrance of Christ, where something is dimming the light of who he is. And the reason I started today is because it has something to do with this teaching of Jesus on treasures. And it has something to do with anxieties. And I want to show you how this morning. Imagine you're sitting and you're listening to Jesus. He then moves out from the teaching on fasting. And he says, I'm going to read these verses again. Verse 19, look with me in your bulletin. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break it and steal. It's not hard to understand. This is the, the negative command. Do not stockpile treasures on earth. They will not last. They don't have eternal value. One day they will all be gone. This is not hard to understand, is it? It's not. <laughs> it's the negative command. Don't store up for your thing, yourself things that are gonna rot, things that are gonna waste away. Verse 20, the positive command, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So it's easy to see. Christ is not teaching something complicated. Don't spend your life on earth storing up, stockpiling earthly treasures. It's not going to matter eternally. Instead, store up for yourself things that have eternal lasting value where nothing can destroy them. I think it's pretty simple. I'm not gonna stop preaching though, because the next part reveals to us why it's so hard. He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break and steal. For where, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm gonna tell three stories today The first is of a man, and all three of these people met Jesus. The first is of a man who, when he heard that Jesus was coming, cried out, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He was told to be silent. He shouted louder. When Jesus came into his presence, he asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I want to start there. If God were to ask you right now, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? What just immediately is at the front of your mind? Now, don't lie about it. The Holy Spirit knows what it is. Don't try to be spiritual if it's not spiritual. This man said, I want you to restore my sight. Whatever your answer is, likely that's a place in your life where there is temptation to meet that need or make that thing happen in a way that's centered on making it an earthly treasure as opposed to heavenly. This is important. Every one of us hear these verses and understand it. Of course. Earthly treasures are gonna go away, they won't last for eternity. Heavenly treasures, they'll last for eternity, we get it. But every one of us, this side of heaven, struggles deeply to make Christ our supreme treasure. We struggle deeply to make Jesus our safest refuge. We struggle deeply to surrender to his sovereignty. We struggle to make him our most trusted counselor. Now I want to be very, very clear as we move the next few weeks through this, you need to understand that this is not just about money. Clearly treasures are part of it. Financial treasures can give the appearance of great security. This is not just about money for we can find our earthly treasures in so many things. For example, the praise of men, the applause of others, people saying, you're a great mother, you're a great father. It could be a title. It could be wealth for sure and all that wealth can bring, but it's more than that. Anything that we would pursue as a treasure that's earthly, that would take the place of Christ and heavenly treasures, that's what Jesus is after. So as we move through this, we're going to see that when we don't trust Christ alone, when we practice a theology that says Jesus plus this title, Jesus plus this storehouse, Jesus plus the praise of man, we're going to see that that's where the anxiety creeps in because it will not satisfy. Everything other than Christ is ultimately insecure. And Christ is saying, it's me. Make me your treasure. So how do we do that? Well, we need to understand something of the heart. Look with me again at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So this morning, if you're trying to discern, where is my heart? What is most important to me right now? What might I ask for? You need to know that it's wherever your heart is. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, the heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count precious. Listen to this, the heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count precious the whole man will be transformed into the likeness of that for which he lives. Now, we talk about extending the transforming presence of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his kingdom presence in our lives. That's the fragrance I'm talking about. That's the light of Christ in us. So listen to that last line. The whole man will be transformed into the likeness of that for which he lives. So he asked the question, where is your treasure. Friend, what do you treasure most? This week was a very hard week for me, spiritually. Not because of some dark, hidden secret, but because of the temptation to make something other than Jesus supreme. Because of trusting something more than Christ. Because of the appeal of the praise of man, it was a hard week. And I I guess I shouldn't be surprised because of where the Lord was leading me to preach. But when I say that, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be clever. What I'm trying to tell you is walking faithfully in Christ is hard. And the reason it's hard is because this side of heaven, the world, the flesh, and the devil are coming at us with everything he has. And wouldn't he love for you to hear a message other than the truth of what Jesus is clearly teaching? Of course he would. So I felt that came at me very, very hard. And the reason is a heart. Let's listen to what scripture says about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 The heart is deceitful. So let me say this, because I'm not sure you're listening. This is not about other people. That's one of the great mistakes we make as Christians. This is really good for them to hear. (laughs) This is about you. And it's about me. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't. We can understand things about it, But we need someone to follow our heart, someone to trace all the different ways the world, the flesh and the devil want to be supreme, to be our supreme treasure, to be our safest refuge, to be our most trusted counselor. We can't discern it. David knew that. Psalm 139, David prays to the Lord and he says, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart. "'Try me and know my thoughts.'" The ESV doesn't put the word anxious there, and I think that's a mistake. Most other translations do. It says, search me, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So all of us have a heart. We've been given a heart. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you need to hear this. You have a new heart. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, here's what that means and why it's such good news. When, Je- when Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on heaven," in heaven. I'm sorry, do not store up for your treasures in earth. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. If you were not given a new heart, you could never store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because you've been given a new heart, friend in Jesus, you can think right, feel right, seek right. You actually can say by the work of God's grace in your life, I'm not going to store up any longer these treasures on earth. I'm going to store up these treasures in heaven. And you can mean it and believe it and do it by his grace and for his glory. If you don't have Christ, you can't give one cent towards heavenly treasure. Not one, nothing. So that's God's great news. But the problem is the same one who said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul also said of himself about his own heart, What I do, I don't want to do. What I do want to do, I don't do. This side of heaven, we're going to struggle to have a heart that is fully surrendered to the Lord. And God knows it. Because God knows it, he's given us everything that we need to be the people he's called us to be. This week, as hard as it was, I knew what I had to do. I had to avail myself of the means of grace just like I do every day. I had to pray, I had to wait, I had to listen, I had to think, I had to confess, I had to repent, all the same stuff, nothing different. It's always going to be God's Word and His Spirit that brings the change. And it came. And it came by the Lord taking me back from this very passage to a very familiar Psalm. What I want you to do is turn to Psalm 16. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 16, but I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Today, before the sun sets, I want you to read Psalm 16. And as you do, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, is there anything besides Christ that is my safest refuge? Is there anything besides Jesus that is my supreme treasure? Have I really surrendered to his sovereignty? Is there anyone or anything in my life that is a more trusted counselor than Christ? And here's why. I preached this psalm a few years ago. The proposition that I used in that sermon was from John Piper. I'd never heard a better one about this psalm. And this is what John Piper wrote. God will lead you through life and through death into everlasting joy. I want you to hear this. God will lead you in life, through life and through death, into everlasting happiness if he is your safest refuge, if he is your supreme treasure, if he is your sovereign Lord, and if he is your most trusted counselor. This week when I talk about the struggle, it was because I was seeking something and not trusting in Christ alone as my refuge. Another treasure had gotten in the way And it wasn't something that's dark or immoral, but it was taking supreme place over the one and only one who is supreme. I wasn't resting in his sovereignty. I wanted it to be done now and in my time. And because of that, I was really anxious. And my anxiety was sin. Not every anxiety is, don't misunderstand. But my anxiety was, because he wasn't supreme. He wasn't my safest refuge. He wasn't my most trusted counsel. But then he was. He was because I continued to avail myself of his means, and he took me to this passage. And when he took me to this passage, I heard David say, look with me at 16.1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then you have something or someone who is a greater refuge to you. David then writes, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will pour, not pour out or take their names on my lips. David is so wise. When we have something or someone as our safest refuge, something or someone as our supreme treasure, something or someone as our most trusted counsel. Our sorrows will increase, and those sorrows will increase in the form of anxiety. This is where Christians, by God's grace and for his glory, should be different. It's where the power of that one who is supreme, the power of that one who is safest. The power of that one whose counsel is perfect means everything to us. And when it does, when he does, there is a fragrance. There is a light. Friend, take Psalm 16 today. Go before the Lord and ask him, search me. Is there any part of my life where you're not the safest refuge? Is there any part of my life where you're not my supreme treasure? Is there any part of my life where I'm not surrendering to your sovereignty? Is there any part of my life where I'm trusting someone more than you? This side of heaven, as you ask the Holy Spirit to do that, you're gonna see two things. You're gonna see the reality of God's work in your new heart, that these are the things that you want. You wouldn't even want them if he wasn't at work. Two, you're gonna see that the side of heaven, it's gonna to continue to be a battle until you die or Christ returns. Just because it continues to be a battle, a battle doesn't mean we stop fighting. We fight in the power of the one who is our safest refuge, our supreme treasure, our most trusted counselor. Before we come to the table, I wanna end with the two other stories. Now, just listen to these for a minute. For most of you, it's going to ring familiarity. But just listen. The blind man that Jesus spoke with heard Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. This story is sandwiched between two other people who also wanted to seek Jesus. Their eyes were open. They could see. The first one moves towards Jesus, and he plans to speak to him. I don't think the second one had any intention of speaking to the Lord. The first one is the rich young ruler. He moves towards the Lord, and he says this in Luke eighteen eighteen. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What that tells us is that there was something in his life that all of his wealth hadn't satisfied. There was something bugging him in his life that was taking him to a place that shows us it doesn't matter how much we've stored up. It ultimately won't matter in the end. It will not satisfy. So he goes to the good teacher and he says, good teacher. Jesus responds by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The man then moves forward to show Jesus how good he is. I've kept all those commands. Every one you've listed, I've kept. Jesus, who knows all things, knows about every man, what's in a man, says you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He told him how. He told him, don't store up any longer these treasures on earth. Make make me your treasure. In order to do that, you need to sell all that. You'll never make me your treasure if you don't. By the way, that's not the command he's given you and I. That's not an exhortation to all people to sell everything, but it was to him. And what happened? His heart was revealed. And his heart was exceedingly sad. Would you be sad? that begins to show you how the Spirit illuminates what might be more supreme in your life than Christ. He was sad. The other man was also rich. He was a man that never expected to talk to Jesus, I don't believe, but he wanted to see the one people were talking about. What's his name? Zacchaeus. Just after the healing of the blind man, The blind man, the healing comes after the rich young ruler. Luke tells us the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the wee little man. In order to see Jesus, he had to climb up in a tree. Tim Keller says, sometimes we gotta climb above the crowd to see the real Jesus. That's true, not just of non-believers, it's true of believers as well. The reason is because Jerry Bridges would say in his great book, Disciplines of Grace, we're tempted towards cruise control Christianity. And if everybody else sees this is okay, then we'll be okay too. Friends, that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. Just because others are struggling in the same way you are doesn't mean it's okay to continue in that struggle with no fight. That's important. It's so important. So Zacchaeus climbs up above the crowd to see Jesus. And to his great shock, Jesus turns and comes towards him. It's a great picture of the gospel where the Lord pursues us. Jesus then begins to speak to him. Verse 4, Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came by the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried off and came down, and he received him joyfully, joyfully, joyfully. The rich young ruler, exceedingly sad. And unless something changes, eternally sad. Zacchaeus, he sees Jesus, hears Jesus call his name, hears Jesus say, come down, down he came. Then what happens is interesting. Jesus gives him no command about any of his earthly treasures, not one command. And Zacchaeus responds, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and he had every day, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come into the ho- this house, since he also was the son of Abraham." For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's such good news. For those who have been sought and those who have been saved, we've been given a new heart. A sign of that new heart, understanding the depth of the gospel, is that we take it everywhere he enables us to go. We want our waiter or waitress to hear about Jesus. We want the children that are part of Mercy Street in West Dallas and South Dallas to hear about Jesus. We want the prisoners, the inmates that Paul Miller spoke about at 930 to hear the good news of Christ along with our neighbors and our family members because we get the depth of his love and our need. He would save one whose heart, like mine, is so fickle, but it's a new heart. One other verse I wanna show you before we come to the table. When the rich young ruler went away exceedingly sad, Jesus, seeing this, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it, said this, and I want you to hear this. Then who can be saved? Jesus responds, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Zacchaeus was saved. He climbed up above the crowd to see the real Jesus. Some of you need to do that. It wouldn't be many, many days before he would probably not see but hear that the Jesus that called him by name and told him to come down would now be the one up in a tree hung there by nails so that all who would trust in him could live forever because they saw that they had a sick heart, a heart that needed not just a refuge, the safest refuge, refuge, not just a treasure, this supreme eternal treasure, not just a counselor, but the omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise God who reveals himself to us and when he does, and we receive him, we've been given a new heart. And that new heart, as a witness to that work, wants to bring glory to God. Because you've been given a new heart for all who are in Christ, you can bring God glory in ways beyond what you can even imagine right now by abiding in him, listening to him, asking him to show you any part of your life that doesn't connect and trusting him. Some of you have never received Jesus as your savior, but God has you here perhaps today to hear the message. And if you desire him as you haven't before, simply pray this prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Save me from my sins. Be my Lord the table that we're about to come to is for all who have made that profession. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's not a table for perfect people, but it is a table for people with new hearts, hearts that have been saved by the Lord. And if you've not received Jesus alone for salvation, we would urge you not to come forward and partake of the elements. But instead, think about all you've heard, lest you would eat and drink judgment on yourself. For those who are in Christ, this meal is a meal of celebration. It is a meal that the Father has given us. As you come, think about what the Father has done in your life to save you and rejoice. Father, as we come to the table, I'm grateful for the work that you've done even in our midst today. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any right now who know they need you, that you would hear their prayer call them your own, give them yourself, save them. Lord, for those who are in Christ, but maybe just feeling a bit disconnected, drifting, Lord, use this time to draw us back. Give us the sweet fellowship that is ours in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.